0: Hi, and welcome to episode 28 of Burefest Brewers Roundtables. This week we have something I think you'll find really special. Um yeast, as you know, has undergone maybe a bit of a resurgence in brewing lately. There's a lot more interest in different um different yeast styles, a lot more interest in things like mixed fermentations, spontaneous fermentations, fike has come and kind of come into the, the scene very quickly and got a lot of interest. Um and that as you probably know is kind of a heritage yeast from Norway. Um we've also seen things like Lithuania. There's different yeasts and different um brewing there with raw ales and that. So well, I thought we'd get a couple of uh, brewers together to to discuss this and had to get some real experts of course. So what we have we have uh, Jan lemons from De Krom Haring in the Netherlands. Jan has obviously a big interest in yeast he's also big into the culture beer culture and has some very strident views on that he's also the organizer of uh the carnival Britannomesis and that is basically the the premier leading wild and mixed fermentation festival in Europe it's um well before COVID it was very big um Obviously, COVID put a, a hit in that, but um, hopefully it'll be back again in the next year or so. Um, but he knows a lot about this um, and has a huge interest. And joining him then was uh, Amund Polden Arneson from Ike Tid. Now, they're a small brewery in Norway, but they're very interesting because they brew only raw, unboiled ales. They're trying to make really a uh, Norwegian craft beer but using old styles and that. So they've never bought yeast, he says. They, they've just collected different quikes from different farmers. They built up a house um, culture out of that, basically. And without getting into it here, but the process is quite interesting in kind of mixing workhorse yeasts with these funky, different yeasts to give it more flavor. And how they do that is mentioned both by Amund and by Jan. Um, So that's quite interesting. They obviously have a a lot of knowledge. Um, Almond in particular has a lot here. But um, the other thing then that that we brought into it was the world of cider. Because the world of cider yeast doesn't, it has an impact obviously. But as they explain in here during the chat, basically that you make cider once a year. So they don't have the space or the time to experiment in the same way that you can brew multiple batches at a time and you know throughout the month so they they've never really experimented too much other than on small batches because if they obviously if they brew a big or make a big batch that's the year's um kind of production gone on uh, on an experiment and may or may not sell so but there is a lot of yeast uh, or a lot of interest in the yeast here and especially legacy cider and we had Liam mcdonald and james O'Donoghue on there they're, they're very interested in this and in exploring it and so it was very good to get this kind of amalgamation this mesh of kind of experience eagerness to try things and the discussion about where it came from the different worlds and who's driving the the interest in yeast and all that it's a very very interesting chat i think you'll really enjoy it um and so obviously it's here if we'd appreciate if you could give us a review a bit of a rating um subscribe if you're not subscribing and of course if you'd rather watch the video it's available on purefest.com as are the videos from all our previous sessions and we have as i say 28 29 of them now um while there if you want to you can also register of course and it's free and you can join in any of our future sessions with your questions comments insights um or just a listen in live so all that out of the way let's talk beer Pretty, pretty special session today. Um, we have we're going to be talking about yeast, and we have some really experts on it from two different sides. So I'm going to start up here in the corner, where I realize, um, as Liam pointed out, I did not put everybody's names on, which I should have done. But we have Jan from De Krom Herring in the Netherlands. He's also the organizer of Carnival Britannomesis, um, which is probably the, the premier mixed fermentation. Brewing festival in Europe, I would say. Is that is that fair enough? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I, I
0: leave to <laughs> Okay. Well, approving there is Amund from Icon Tid. Um, so they're in Norway. Um, you're basically, we can get into it later, but you're basically raw ale brewers um, with a very Norwegian focus. And you, you've kind of evolved your own in house culture from different. Fights as i understand and you repitch your yeast all the time so so a lot of experience there and then one side that i i know i personally don't get any kind of information from probably because i'm not that not big a cider drinker um is cider in yeast or sorry yeast in cider um and the last time liam was on we have liam here from legacy cider and we have james from i've just been corrected it's not legacy it's long Wait long ways cider um so again i apologize for putting up the, the wrong message but um but the last time lean was on we we kind of did a little touch on yeast in the cider um and how that that works so i thought it would be interesting to bring in the cider look at things and see how it all kind of meshes or doesn't mesh with the brewing side and all of that so um so that's basically our plan for the next hour is just to have a chat with, about that um I thought maybe if what we do is we kick it off. If I if I give my potted knowledge of, of yeast and you can then correct me all about where I've gone completely wrong in this and my understanding of it. So taking beer, most brewing up to the mid 19th century was using it, each brewery had its own yeast kind of in-house yeast culture that I think it was repitching and repitching. And it was slowly evolving and farmhouse brewers had their own one and they kind of slowly evolved it into their own house culture and then Carlsberg kind of discovered how to by necessity discovered how to isolate out the different strains and instead of having mixed cultures they were then using single strain yeasts that they would kind of preserve they would maybe repitch a few times then they'd go back to the source and take that again and so that it went from being very and that took off that that became kind of the standard outside of maybe Belgium, and maybe the UK a bit, um, and outside of, you know, actually outside of the Lithuania as well, where they the, and north of places like Norway, North Scandinavia, isolated kind of farmhouse areas. And if I'm right, then basically everyone started using the same yeast. It became much less complex and it became single strain. Do I have that right? Is that a good potted history?
1: I think you have it right. Partly, when I think when Carlsberg started using their own, well, isolated strain, and uh, they started using it, many breweries start using that. So at least a technique, and came up with these similar strains. Uh, but this whole culture is not only in uh, Norway or, or Lithuania, but Belgium is a great example, but also great Britain, which which you did mention. Uh, they obviously kept making top-fermenting beers all through the 20th century uh and, and and these are not the strains that Carlsberg work uh, yeah. these, these are well, still i can't tell uh, very often still their own strains from their brewery so
0: yeah so i,
1: hard, I suppose but, so, <laughs> so, if, if you're talking about lager well, definitely major bread lagers then you're definitely okay can, can
2: I can I just ask, guys? Because I, I I don't know much, to be honest, about brewing. You know, I just it's all cider. But guys, when you're using yeast, is it uh, like this? Might seem a very basic question, but is it does, once you get your your brew and once you're um, selling it, is it the same yeast all of the time that you use then? And is there absolute, well, as much consistency as you can in that batch, or does it change using the same yeast?
1: Are you asking Mm -hmm. the same yeast for every different beer we make?
2: No, no. So say, for instance, you're doing a Larger um, and one style, and then you use a particular yeast. Through your bench trials and your experimentation, you've decided on one particular yeast um, or brand of yeast. I I, I presume you use the same as us. does that, do you continue using that all the way through and does it give you consistency or, or do you have to change it?
1: If, if you, if you re-bitch yeast, I think that's your question. So use the same, the very same yeast uh, from batch number one, so to, so to speak. Yeah. Can, uh, harvest that and use the batch number two. Uh, you will over time, depending on the strain, uh, find find differences, uh, something you this yeah. is a great thing. Uh, but it's something you might want to aim for too you can say if you, you were saying lager it's a great example as in i find out the lager strain we use uh, is is becoming uh anyway it's much much slightly better after a few after a few runs after a few beers okay like. okay. That's, okay i'm nice. very keen of personally personally so i like doing this but we again personally at our brewery we don't get manage to keep that thing uh, active enough for more active enough or clean enough <laughs> uh, we, we, we don't manage to, to keep that for say 20 30 40 50 times at some point we have to renew, and therefore okay. again a slightly different continuation so yeast
2: uh, does change okay well my, my okay well my question was that um do you like once you have a, a commercial yeast if, if you are starting with a commercial yeast do you continue with that same commercial yeast again? But you, you've answered my, my question. You you try and, and harvest it as much as you can. Do you? Uh,
1: we try and harvest it as much as we can if, if that's the yeah. desired uh, profile we want from that yeast. Yeah. Uh, if, if if we know we like it better, attenuating slightly better for whatever reason, taste mostly, then we try to do so. If, if we think it shouldn't attenuate much deeper, we've to take. The fresh uh, pitch
0: sugar but that like, I, I think that's how it would have been throughout most of the history you know, is it that like the, the yeast always it evolved it, it became domesticated I guess in, in many ways because yeah. you could harvest uh, you'd harvest it from the beers you liked but you'd ignore the ones that maybe didn't work out as well so you'd be slowly evolving the yeast to your your taste yeah
1: yeah
3: okay. I can uh, I can tell you a little bit about how we do it because uh, we have actually never bought yeast okay any yeast that is in the brewery is uh gifted to us by someone who's kept it usually a Norwegian farmer and uh what they usually do is they brew and then they top harvest after 48 hours from the top of the brew and they dry it and then they keep it for the next time they brew what we do is that we we keep uh the culture separate from the brews so I would uh, I have two starters and then uh, always have a backup in case one uh, fails. And I um, pitch those and fill it up with wort and keep it separate. So I actually never harvest the yeast from the actual beer we make. I just keep like a separate small starter of beer going all the time. And of course it's happened that we've gotten infections or it has drifted because we are mixing strains together that haven't been working together before. Mm. And uh, these are multi-strain sacks with the uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae with um, some uh, lactobacillus in it naturally and of course we are doing the same thing as the farmer brewers are doing to this culture so sometimes it just goes a different direction and then we just restart it because we always have
0: backups okay and um, the but the farmers uh, again I, I'm basically going pretty much my knowledge of East is pretty much what I've read what, what Lars, you know, Lars Garshall has written and kind of documented so that that's pretty much my whole knowledge comes from him But um, That's a good like, place to get your knowledge about it. it's, it's Yeah, I, I cannot disagree with you there <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean what what you started with is, like, just take because he's done it, like, the the quike and you've taken a collection of different quikes when you kind of Together, to after that, you keep using. But throughout this, throughout what what those vikes would have come from was they they would have did they always keep it that way or because I understood that you know it was nearly always harvested again and then it slowly changed and it kind of evolved and that they didn't really keep this backup. Is that what is am but, I wrong? I mean,
3: there is a lot of stuff we we don't know where it came from or how it evolved, mm-hmm. right? but. Uh, we do know how to keep it today the farmers that have gotten these um these cultures from their ancestors and uh, norway being, being a quite poor country we never had a culture brewing uh, continuously so it was brewing for christmas maybe brewing for some weddings but two three times a year and uh, you had to keep this yeast in between those months right and uh, what they figured out is, is, is that it was perfect to dry these culture. So they would harvest, like I said, after 48 hours, and they would put it on a piece of, piece of cloth or uh, wood with a little surface area, and they would just hang it up to dry, and uh, the yeast would dry. And then the next time they wanted to use it, they just use this dry yeast log as a starter or this cloth or whatever. And um, the, the interesting thing is that uh, all these um, Norwegian West Coast, Spikes are related they're part of the same family and they have an ancestor um, that actually is this distantly related to uh yeast uh, and also an unknown other parent so there's a mutation at some point in history with an unknown parent and this yeast that came from europe we don't know how it came from europe or when but it's uh, definitely um, hundreds of years ago and we don't have an explanation how it spread to all these farms. I mean, the geography of Norway is pretty extreme, so to get this yeast to travel all these places, uh, it is it is still a bit of a mystery and it's super fascinating. But the the um, the icing on the cake here is that they have managed to keep this yeast alive until modern age, because yeah. this was something that every farm had if they brewed beer. I mean, spontaneous ferment- uh, fermentation is is quite risky, and uh, if you're brewing for a wedding you're brewing for something that's happening in a few weeks and you have to have beer at that event and it has to be good and if you if you're just gonna let nature take its course in that way uh, you can have fantastic beer as we all know but it, it's much Less predictable than keeping a culture,
0: and yeah, and then you have to kind of keep it and blend it. Whereas with the Quai, was they knew what beer they were getting, or they were pretty close, what they were gonna to have to then go into blending and kind of, to...
3: yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, they, they didn't make beer for keeping. Uh, if you're gonna understand this culture, you have to take away the part of our brain that uh, takes shelf life for granted, stability for granted, um, because this didn't exist. I mean, th- of course this beer would go sour it would go stale but they they finished it long before that they started drinking when they harvested after 48 hours and and even today if I ask the farmer brewers how do you know when the beer is ready when it's done like when it's stable when when, what do you mean done Uh, it's done when it's empty (laughs) so they don't have this concept of fermenting to stability and, and making sure the shelf life so it can survive for x amount of months or for a year right this 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 concept doesn't exist in this culture okay
0: yeah it, um, and then you mentioned sorry you just mentioned there like when they dry it did they? so these these cultures and you mentioned like bacteria in there and, and like the bacillus and that so did that dry with it or is it would that just come in from the air or well, well uh
3: amazingly enough, most of them
0: don't have bacteria at all Okay. So there
3: are just a few where they found some bacteria, and I know that, well, the thing is that most of the yeast labs that have looked at these strains, they are yeast labs, so they've been looking at the yeast, but no one has been looking at the bacteria, so we don't really know much about the bacteria yet. I have heard that one of the labs have identified one of the lactobacillus as a lactobacillus that's common in, in milk fermentations, maybe there's some cross-contamination at some point, maybe they were using some similar equipment. I have no idea, but they seem to be working in a symbiosis. But the interesting thing is that I, the culture we use now, because we only actually have one farmer's culture in our uh, culture now. And when the farmer, Stieg, use brews with this culture, uh, his beer is not sour. But okay. when we brew with it and we age it, it turns sour. So the way he brews and the way he kind of treats the beer and when he serves it, makes it a non-sour beer brewed with a mixed culture. So that's this, that's kind of amazing.
1: Is, is this uh, different origins than just using more hops, basically?
3: Yeah, well, I, they, they don't because use like the hops because it's raw beer, so they don't even boil the hops. You know, mm-hmm. they 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 might make um, a small uh, hop tea out of water and hops, but usually I've I've seen them just put hop uh, flowers in in a um, in a sieve, in a basket sieve, and then they run the word through that when they run off the work So. We're not talking a significant amount of alpha acids here to inhibit the bacteria either. Uh, so I'm thinking it, it's it's more about the way they brew and also, of course, that they start drinking it pretty early on and finish it <coughs> while they fresh.
4: Uh, can I come in there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh, just on the cider side of things, there we we've been using both commercial and wild yeast. You know, we've been pitching commercial yeast and we've been trying to identify wild yeast now i find that uh, the wild yeast can create very funky flavors in some of the ciders and it's it's difficult for us to get nice consistency and a nice uh, product from from some of the wild yeast but we have uh, isolated um two wild yeasts in the cidery there in the last two years and um what what i'd be interested to know is what your opinion is on 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 trying to harvest this wild yeast. so Please forgive me. I've been kind of working on the blind in this. So what we've done in, in, in two separate occasions. So first, when we, we did the initial fermentation, we get the heavy leaves at the bottom of the tank, and then we'd rack off once the fermentation is finished. And then we get a, a selection of fine leaves, then we say for at the end of the second racking, you know what I mean? Now, my thinking is that the, the, the heavy leaves, the first racking would deliver you a much more complex type of uh, yeast range plus you'd also have off flavors coming from different types of yeast in that plus you'd have maybe a bacterial load that could be there whereas in the second um racking uh, with the fine leaves that you'd actually get a, a cleaner cleaner um yeast profile there coming through it's interesting to see listen to how you you collect your yeast you put it into in your top fermentation beers you put either stick in or a piece of cloth in and you dry that and then use that to pitch at the next time um i'm wondering two things number one how would you harvest your yeast from the leaves and number two would you think that if we put a cloth into our cider or um a stick into the cider would we manage to pull the right um yeast from that to the next you know to pitch on to the next time well this this is
3: uh, it's a very complicated question uh, <laughs> but i'll try to answer as best as i can I, we, we actually do make ciders as well we we spontaneously ferment um just like for fun because we know a, a guy who runs an apple orchard but I, my, I mean if your yeast will have a good flocculation ability which mm. usually wild yeast doesn't because that is the uh, uh domestication tray but um if it if it flocculates then it will probably drop to the bottom with the heavy lees so you might have mm. less amount of cells uh, on the fine lease later on yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah it could be a way of selecting for something but how would you know what you were selecting for uh if you like the flavor of that particular uh ferment like that particular cider I would try to draw samples before you rack each time and grow them up with some apple juice and just smell and taste and see if there is any difference and and if there is then you have some managed to separate at least the balance of the culture a little bit because i mean there's still going to be cells coming along but different uh, yeast will have different preferences and if they drop out early on then you you have to get them early if they are late survivors then uh, you can have them later on, while the other ones have dropped out. So, but it it is it is a, a pretty difficult way to select for like certain strain. It's impossible, but uh, for a culture, yes, you can really do it.
4: Yeah. So what we've actually done, yeah, up to now, is that we'd we'd uh, when we're racking off, we'd actually rack. We say as just once racking off is finished, and then you've got kind of a we say. We say if if you take a, a thousand liter Ibc uh, we'd ha- maybe have three centimeters of leaves at the bottom so we we try and take off the top the top piece the one that was closest in contact with the cider into a five liter drum and we put that in the fridge and we'd use that then the next time and we've we've had some quite good carry over with, with with ones that we particularly like, but it's but what, what I'd love to do is kind of cement the ones that I like, you know what I mean, that we can keep them in the cidery to keep them alive, because one of the ones we have this year, and, and Liam would comment on this as well, that we've won there this year, is absolutely fabulous. Like, and it's thrown off as a, a lovely character cider, you know what I mean, that, uh, it's, and it's quite difficult to get um, a commercial use to deliver the same complexities uh roundness and flavor profiles that we're getting from this one now i mean admittedly we've done a good lot of wild fermentations to come up with just one at the minute that we think that would suit our palate can i ask you do you age on wood at all like on oak? know yeah, yeah well we, we we don't necessarily age in wood so what we do is that uh, we actually get a, uh, we age in, 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 um, in uh, whiskey barrels that we get from one of the local distilleries. And uh, that's after turning out pretty fabulous, some of the ciders from that.
3: Because that is the way of, of um, capturing a culture you like, right? If you can, if you have a cider that's turned out really perfectly with the wild culture and you put that into a barrel, uh, chances are that this culture is going to take, um, uh, start to live in the barrel so then yeah. you take that out and the next time you have a cider um maybe even not all the way fermented through just put it on that barrel and the chances are that the culture from the last one will still be in there and start making that flavor again so that, yeah. that that's that's a lot what we do here I mean we have these big 2200 litre oak tanks behind there and all the way down to 200 liter barrels and uh they contain the cultures that build the flavors of our beers quickly so we do primary with the clike strain but that's basically our workhorse that's just to to ferment out and, and get the primary fermentation going but like the the maturation with the longer development of the complexity mm. that happens in wood and that's where we like the complexity of of different yeast and bacteria live together and in opposition to create this this certain flavors that you just can't do with a single culture right?
4: that's that's correct. actually i'll come back to that point in another bit just one question on the barrels there um are your barrels charred and on the inside or the non-charred barrels that you start out with like uh i don't no they're not charred. like they're toasted uh we don't use um
3: bourbon barrels too much uh, yeah. but we but they, they are, are toasted yeah they're toasted yeah uh, and these behind there are or,
4: sorry would it be a heavy or light toasting that you would give me? Um,
3: I don't actually know, but I'm guessing it's quite light. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. we wouldn't be looking for a very heavy one. I mean, we could do for flavoring wise, but uh, most of the wood we use is basically for the microoxysization that happens and the maturation, where you have the reductive flavors coming out a bit and oxygen coming in a bit, but not too much. Mm. So you get too much acetic. Yeah. And, and of course, a place to live for the culture. Yes.
4: Of course then the, that depends on the type of wood, like you know, like the, the 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 grain of the wood that you're using for the microoxidization. But just coming back, one of the trials that I've been trying to do is is um assess commercial yeast, you know, uh, based on their characteristics we say. So looking for ones that would give me structure, ones that would give me a flavor profile and ones that would give me aroma, right? And then um we'd make a, a base uh, juice uh apple juice first then we'd split that out into three different parts we did not pitch in with each individual yeast that was trying to give us the 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 parts we want like we say one for structure one for aroma one for taste profile and um one of the biggest challenges we have here is trying to develop this long taste you know this nice long taste at the back of your mouth there when you're drinking the cider you know to give us that that finish you know which is which is can be quite challenging but then reamalgamate those three ciders at, at at the first racking, you know, so that they start to mature together to develop the complexities that were you tried to achieve there with a with a wild use fermentation. How, how did that work? some of it has worked very well now. I one one on this year, I was very very impressed with it. Like I did one um, last year now, and it wasn't um, so impressed. I was it come back. It comes back then to the yeast strains that you're using and trying to select the yeast strains that you think will deliver what you're look what you're looking for as a, a cider maker or a beer maker is is the challenge. Like and um, now the first ones I used last year, I wasn't happy with some of the strains that I have done again this year. Um as uh, the problem, what we have is against the beer guys is that we only have apples once a year. We're like the wine business. We can only ferment in, in, in October, November, because we're using natural, uh, natural juice. We're not using any concentrator like that. So we, we just do it once a year. So we kind of get one shot every year to do this, which is a pain in the butt because you'd like to do more work like, you know, but um, this year then we selected, um, I selected a, I actually did a four trial, a, a four uh cider trial this year or sorry a four yeast cider trial this year and um at racking off i have selected two of them i would use again next year and the other two i would i would i would move out and try with two more then next year again see can i develop the flavor now what i've got this year is a very clean very crisp. doesn't doesn't bring enough character in, in the cider i feel we're lacking that bit of character and a bit of needs a bit more body to it <laughs> Are these cider yeast or beer yeasts? No, we are we working off mainly off white wine yeast Or with depends on the, on the apple variety. So if I'm using a dessert apple variety, I tend to go for um, say a white wine type yeast. Right? If we're using um, bittersweet, you know um. Apples that would have a high tannin origin tend to move towards uh, a, a red wine yeast, you know. So you're looking at the pot, trying to work out what they're using, say Malbec Melbach is an Argentinian wine that contains a lot of tannin, what kind of yeasts are they using in the, the making of that Melbach? And then transfer that knowledge over then towards looking at the bittersweet apple, which have a lot of tannins in them, would the, that rine, red wine yeast work better? Of course then if we're making if we're making champagne style ciders then you're looking for a champagne yeast because you want the in-bottle fermentation then as well you know the secondary fermentation and you want good fluctuation in that bottle so that when you do it to go to disgorge it that it pops out easily like you know that kind of way easily like interesting so let
0: me jump in here so um we yeah so like i mean yeast I, I don't think he used to get an old the I'm trying to, to have <laughs> Too much coming at me. Will we start
4: again, Brian? Give you a chance to recover. You know, I'm
0: now confused. There's too much technical stuff. Right. No, but, but I'm going to try and bring it back around for something back into what I understand a bit. <laughs> so, I mean, If we went, uh, as Jam was saying, like mainly lagers, especially, we're like it's single strain yeast. You went from a complex yeast to these single strain, and now we're all kind of looking back towards complex cultures again. Where do you think that's come about? Whereas, why has that interest, like I said, it's always been in Belgium, England, and probably some other areas. But I mean, why has it now come back around it's now become a whole huge interest again and yeah
4: i'll jump in there just for a quick comment on that one i was discussing this with other people before like and they were saying you know so if you're using a commercial yeast of one strain like uh, they they compared it to like an, an orchestra so if you go to an orchestra there's many musicians in the orchestra they're all playing different instruments right and um that brings the beauty and the complexity to the to the orchestra if you're using one singular you're only listening to the tambourine or you're only listening to the violin or you're only listening to one particular instrument within that fermentation whereas if you can bring more you bring more complexity by using by using different yeast structures whether it's what i was trying to do in the experiment there or what um the gentleman here beside me um is doing with wild yeast you know what i mean so And actually, if you take a wild yeast in cider, there's about four or five distinct types of wild yeast in the cider that that come in at the start of the fermentation, but they die out depending on the alcohol levels that are are achieved during the fermentations. And then you you end up you know, at at the end with the last yeast fermenting out the last of the cider would be completely different to the first yeast that started the cider fermentation, if you understand. So it's trying to develop the complexities Within the product is what we're trying to do.
0: When you say it dies out, do you mean that it would all literally be dead? So if you harvest that yeast, you were saying then you wouldn't have the like if you harvest what comes at the end, you've lost. Yeah, uh, you see, this
4: is this is part of the challenge in harvesting a wild yeast. You so so like um, I don't have the names of the particular yeast in my head right now, but like I know some of them start to die out at two and three percent alcohol, but in the hope would be that, you know, right, they drop out to the bottom and they're in the lease, that maybe they, 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 they didn't fully die like that. They may become dormant. And then that that if you take that on again, you'll be able to use it on the next I'm not technical enough or I don't have enough knowledge to say that they are completely dead or to say that they're alive. I, I just don't know. I'm just hoping that we would pull them through in in, in a five litre drum
0: like. Yeah, now, what do you think, Jan, is, like, does that make, sound sound right for say brewing as well you know if you're taking your yeast you have your your complex culture i i I just uh, had never kind of thought about this about you know certain certain ones will be dead and then i i guess
1: i guess we that they would be dormant rather than dead also uh, from your statements i think many of those belgian or british breweries they also use a single yeast it's just not that typical lager strain you always see around not not per se but i think it's important to mention that single strain is a, a very common thing to do and there are also really great single strains out there so it's not a it, it, it's not a bad thing but if you take away the all the great uh, romance about yeast there is plenty and i love it you can also look at it as a certain tool so if you if, if you use a yeast blend or or different pitch one yeast and decide to uh, or by recipe decide to uh, add a different yeast after a few days or weeks or even even months uh, you, you could say that uh, i would say something similar the Kvike yeast is a uh, is, is his working horse it just brings down uh, it, it just ferments out most and then there is few sugars left and then whatever is in his uh, wooden barrels can can start play with that. But, that that can be a choice, and it, it gives uh, a certain complexity you, you might be looking for. As as simple as again, not very romantic. as, 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 as It's just a tool or an ingredient in that sense. So we use uh, saison blends. It's our it's our house blend, as we, we call it. We uh, with different saison strains in there, and one is very much for that more peppery as well as fruity flavors or estery flavors, and one is simply to dry out that beer to, to the bone. So okay. that, that's the reason to use more strains. Of course, the more ingredients or the more strains we use and uh, less predictable your beer will be, or the less, uh, uh, consistent perhaps as well. So that's uh, doesn't mean it's not consistent, but less consistent. So that's a choice you can make. And that's probably why I don't want to put it black and white, but those commercial big brands you were naming earlier, that's why they choose for one, one clean strain, which does exactly predictable. What it
0: has to do right so it's very much yeah when it comes out of the tank you know what what it's going to taste like yeah. and it's you know,
1: <laughs> a fair choice too if that's a great beer then then
0: that it will yeah if
1: it's a great <laughs> beer, then different
3: discussion i think uh just to, to try to answer your question uh, from my point of view as well because it's a very good question uh, why are these sort of wild ferments coming back into fashion or, or even keeping a a uh, mixed culture or a house culture. Um, I, I think in one word, it's down to diversity. Because, I mean, I, I was born in, in the early 80s, and I have definitely grown up on uh, fermented food and drink that was all made with single culture strains. And I think that's even, or I know that that's even more ubiquitous today. So if you hand someone a glass, and it, it might be natural wine, it might be a scrumpy... It might be a mixed fermentation beer, it might be a kimchi, a bowl of kimchi. Uh, it might be um, uh, a sake, something with a mixed fermentation or a spontaneous fermentation. It's it's this set of flavors of complexity and, and sort of kind of extreme flavors that people aren't used to. So it's this shocking experience, like this, this you call acquired taste in English, right? Uh, yeah. You have to have it a certain amount of times to, to enjoy it. And, and these sort of um, blended fermentations where you have a lot of microorganisms making different acids and different esters and alcohol and acetic acid and all that stuff that's just not present if you buy a fermented product from a big industrial company and there's a good reason for that because they want to make a product that's easy to reproduce and they also want to make a product that a lot of people like but the success of that method has pushed these sort of uh, mixed fermentation products out into the fringe and, and as anything when people rediscover this it's curious souls out there will be enthusiastic and they will jump on their little soapbox and they will say hey you need to try this this is totally bloody different it's mind-blowing and then you get get people some people into that and that will grow i think that's what you're seeing you're seeing in cider you're seeing in beer you're definitely seeing it in in um, food fermentation like uh, noma and and uh, those those chefs playing around with everything from koji to to making their own vinegars and that sort of stuff, and I think it's all about that—that that fl- true flavor diversity, basically.
0: Right. Yeah, that that makes sense. That yeah, I mean, I suppose it, it, it is just the artisan, like you said. It, it's the diversity. It, it's the the difference from what you're you're used to tasting and all of that. But um, the, but do you think that that sounds like you think it's been driven a lot from the producer more, and then slowly from the
3: if, if you start a mixed fermentation brewery, you're not doing it to get rich. <laughs> it's not a great business idea. So uh, yes, I think uh, those sort of special fermentations that are, often they take time as well. I mean, uh, turn turnaround for a beer for us, like a, a fruit beer. It's three to four months in, in wood. And then it's a couple of months at least in on fruit. And then a couple of weeks re-fermentation in the bottle. So, I mean, it's it's not this fast moving consumer good type of product so so I I think that's yeah of course you have a following but producers that choose to do this uh, and, and like spend a lot of time money on it they have to be a certain kind of crazy
0: and yeah but, but I, I mean I do see like I said it, it is becoming more popular and you do see it you know, lambics have suddenly shot up in in popularity again um and that's probably the most extreme version of wild yeast around but also like i i do see you know the yeast that's that's been used get mentioned more maybe not maybe not like on the, the main large brands but you do see you know the, the yeast getting listed alongside say the hawks now or something like that so it's slowly there and you see quite mentioned. you know people are very excited about it so it seems to be that that yeast is getting in the beer side but Liam in the I I don't see any of that on cider bottles there's no mention of yeast mentioned is that something that there's a there's a potential market for or
2: um I'm not sure to be honest I think we're still kind of around with yeasts and um there's no real dominant yeast in a secret in relation to the yeast that we'd use and we we don't let it out um James and myself now are, are really going through a journey with yeast and uh we've used quite a number of commercial yeasts. and we're we're kind of going through them and going through the ones that work and the ones that don't work i would say we've gone through uh almost i don't know thirty five forty yeasts, and out of that we've only really identified two of them that are that are good, and they're only for certain apples, as, as uh, James was saying um but really, where we would like to go to is to start to harvest our own yeast um. We've got through the ciders now during the summer and um, once they've kind of fully matured and sometime in May or June and uh, we're tasting all of those and generally out of about um, 30 or 35 different uh, ciders that have been um, singly um, fermentation, we would, there'd be about two of them, maybe three, that would be outstanding. And they're the ones then that we would try to um re-harvest those yeasts and um and, and uh use them again for for more of the ciders but our challenge as james was saying was how to re-harvest and um whether to start with the kind of um the first racking which is the really heavy sediment or the, or the second racking so um that, that's our challenge at the moment but in relation to yeasts and, and to answer your, your first question it's um no uh highly complex highly uh, consumers wouldn't have a clue not a notion
0: there's no, um, no no potential to have lambic cider spontaneously fermented. <laughs> no, no. Uh, we we we'll
2: put that we we'll put that on the list of NPD.
1: <laughs> yeah, but have- Long list, Brian. <laughs> well, but um, lambic producers don't mention their yeast. Well, their yeast, their spontaneous fermented beverage, they don't make a huge fuss about that. Either actually, but they will tell you it's spontaneously fermented, and that there is commercial lambics where it might be not the case. But lambic producers also mostly focus on the end product, possibly similar to what, as far as I know, the winemakers, for instance, do. that. don't. It's very obvious what they do. Well, obvious as in it's spontaneously fermented, uh, and it's very obvious that they do it differently than more uh, industrial, commercial, or uh, modern time breweries, cideries, wineries, but they don't make a huge fuss about that either. Yeah. it's It's, well, it's, to, it's kind it's of deep deep. hard
3: to ignore that it's a different beast, right?
1: They don't have to say Martin, It's, it's, it's a lambic. It's, it, it's hard to ignore for definitely uh, definitely for us, or, or, us five here, maybe. Uh, I, I'm talking
3: about the flavor. If someone tries a lambic for the first time, it's it's, it's very obvious that this is
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But then, if you're let, let's bring it to natural wine, then. Where this is in the case as well, it's potentially fermented or at least using not those commercial uh, strains. Winemakers I used as well, or killing them at some point. If you're just a consumer, somebody who drinks wine every day or every weekend, uh, and then you get a natural wine, then you, you probably don't know much else than, "Oh, this tastes different, and I like it or I don't like." It. You won't know that yeast is. In, you won't know that yeast simply because no, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not your daily life basically
2: yeah yeah exactly and and that is exactly the point because all of us guys we're in there if you're a brewer or a cider maker and you're working so hard and making the product as perfect as you can and getting those small little inches you know ju- just increasing it um you know for instance we we age one of our ciders now in, in, in a barrel or a bourbon barrel and um there is Each time we, we do a blend, um, we have certain commercial products and uh, when when they run out, we do another blend and uh, it's always different because cider is like wine, it's aging, the apples are different and all of that. So there's always a slight difference and you're trying to marry the old one with, with the new one and it's inevitably just, just it's like that. So you, you need to kind of blend them and bring them as close as you can, which doesn't always happen. But um, and we always have that bit of nervousness then going to the market with your with your new with the the new blends, that that it, you know it's not so much a new blend it's exactly the same formula. But it's just it's different, and uh, I I'd be there going oh my god oh my god there's there's far too much uh, oak in it now or or the bourbon is different or it's it's just a little bit more acidic and off. And uh, you bring it out and like I'd ask the guys then fellas who would know. I hey, wh- wh- what do you think? Did you get that extra note of, uh, of of oak in it? We we aged it in a in, in a much younger barrel. And, hey, listen, Lima, I don't have a clue, man. Listen, I just drink it back, you know. They just you know difference yeah, it's,
1: it's though, a great side yeah. of the consumer spectrum and
2: yeah
1: I, i'm yeah. not the most thing i thank god i'm not but i'm yeah. always very much in favor of telling people literally everything not because they deserve to know because but because they need to know to respect the product much.
2: yeah
1: and yeah educate them
2: yes yeah um, yeah i know yeah.
1: Yeah, I, yeah really yeah. I mean, it, it starts with what we do putting every single ingredient uh, uh on our labels and not just yeast but which yeast we use or yeah which, which mold we use or whatever and all, all that and, and most people obviously don't care and that's that. that's fine I'm so depressed of life uh, and yeah. mostly I, that's the reason yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. uh it, it, it i think it's people who want to know or that, or even don't know they want to know but yeah they will know I mean, it, it, it's don't hold back educate them that's what I. yeah
2: yeah yeah i think that's better. yeah <laughs> That's probably the point, isn't it? To try and educate them. And uh, as you say, people who don't know, but they, they might want to know about it. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And I wouldn't yeah. simplify things either, personally. Again, I'm not a big marketer here. Got yeah, on.
2: yeah. No, but it, it, it's, just, it, it's just the point in relation to, to yeast. And like if if you use a different yeast on a cider, like like if you use it on a wine, it's it's a marginal difference for, for, for yourselves. Now, you can have a wide variance if you use, well, very extreme yeast but if we use yeasts that, that are different, even even James, uh, um, well, it's not so much a, a red wine yeast and a white wine yeast, but like the, the difference in the white wine yeasts are very marginal. Mm. And I don't yeah. think consumers would really know we, we would, but consumers. Would
1: be yeah, room. but you make them aware of the difference being there. And even if they can't taste it in the final product, at least are aware of you. Playing with it and therefore making yes. a good cider yes. I suppose good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Liam. Really, it, gives you, it gives uh, them an entry to to learn more about the product and therefore, uh, well, be a better consumer. Mm. Mm.
3: Yeah, I was uh, I was wondering uh, are, for your yeast R and D, are you cooperating with uh, some sort of uh, yeast lab?
4: Is
1: no. that for me? No,
3: no uh, for the cider yes. guys
4: no we're, we're not we're not working specifically with any cider lab no yeah yeah
3: because that could be an interesting avenue to explore with uh, especially with uh, finding uh, yeast from your own uh, wild fermentations
4: yeah I suppose that the problem we have in Ireland is that you know accessibility to a lab of that nature might be uh, might be might be challenging unless you're like the big bigger companies and the big cider companies in Ireland might have that uh, that facility to isolate the uh, different yeast strains within a wild yeast. Um,
0: I think um, James, I, I think there is, There's. I can't remember their name, but there is a big lab work with a lot of the brewers, um, like um, Black Donkey now, he's, they isolated their own yeast um, and worked with, there's a lab that, that does a lot of work for it. Um, that wouldn't be the um, all tech people, would it? No, I think it's, all, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but um, I know that there was some lab someone mentioned to me. I, I can look for it afterwards, but um, there is mm. some. That yeah, it's yeah. of-
4: interesting to find that out. Uh, can I just turn the, the, the conversation slightly different for a minute, if you don't mind, Brian? Yeah, I'm just wondering about, about temperature, temperature, lads. But what, what what, what do you think about temperature and yeast and fermentation?
3: Yeah, um, well, I, I can say for our bikeky workhorse it's a bit different because these pharmacies have traditionally been pitched at about for anywhere from 35 to 40 C so uh, our primary fermentation depending on season will be at a pitch temp from 36 to 40 degrees. So we, uh, that, but that's very particular with the quinones. That's that's one of their unique trays. Uh, and it, it creates these beautiful esters, but but not any fused alcohols or anything. So that's um, that's pretty amazing, and that that also uh, it had the has the added benefit. We don't need the temperature control at all. Like I just adjust for uh, the seasonal temperature a bit, but then I just ferment in IBCs, and uh, we we have one steel the stainless steel pressurized tank and that's for bottling so uh that's uh, the quack saves us a lot of money on fermentation time.
4: but that's massive temperatures but you have the advantage there that the the is coming off a bile isn't it and you can you can see where the work comes down from the from from the bile then you can actually pitch your yeast at the right temperature isn't that correct yes yeah whereas we would have to heat the cider mm-hmm quite a lot and would cost a lot of money to heat up the cider to 35 40 degrees like
3: i don't think that we do anything positive for your cider fermentation
4: no. <laughs> like i mean we i've had a cider out there at the weekend there or during the week like and it was in an ibc it was at three degrees when i was taking off an a ice cider and I was trying to heat it to 15 degrees C to put uh, the pitch in the east. Like bloody hell, it took all day to heat it up, you know? Now, I mean, I have an industrial type um, um, immersion heater to do it like, but geez, it still took all day to heat it like.
0: You don't do it with, with food costs these days. <laughs> you no, know,
4: you know, like, I mean, what what we we're trying to do there in the cider is, 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 is create um, uh a low and slow fermentation is always what they recommend it to do right and the, the the real issue i have with low and slow with the commercial yeast is most of them like to run along between 18 20 22 22 degrees c like and i right i've isolated a few yeast that will happily work at around 10 degrees now some of them will work lower but the problem is, they start to throw off a lot of off flavors that you don't want coming through in the cider, like if because the yeast are actually just stressed from the coldness of what they're trying to work in, like and that's that's why it was coming at temperature. And how do you find temperature? And does it does it really deliver what they say it delivers when you get it at you know, say eighteen degrees? Is it delivering all the the flavor profiles the the complexity of flavor from that that single strain yeast the uh the mouthfeel and stuff like that do you find that, that the temperature at fermentation is very critical yeah you uh use different cultures
1: so you use mm-hmm. different cultures and critical well I, I aim for certain sort of temperatures and now actually yesterday we put a strong strongest or eight percent is beer so it's so sort of dry um, f- very dry only sacrifice fermented beer about eight percent in alcohol and, and, and i was thinking it was becoming too estuary too, too fruity if you like we decided to uh, well well now a bit more drastically decided to, to to go from it was a 28 normally fermentation temperature really really kept it at 23 or so mm. I can see what that gives but that's definitely something we play with of course yeah and then I mean there is if if you brew lagers you go much lower you go around say 12 uh, 12 C we see uh, most other beers are twenty, twenty-two 22 so you can decide to go 28 indeed uh but then still that's 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 a tool to play with yes absolutely
3: and these are commercial products so usually they come with the uh, specifications from the East Lab right
1: they are the not, not, not always commercial products but often are uh, what you, well, you can guess and you can learn actually
0: how are using it. Yeah, so the ones that, like the commercial ones are really much more of a they're like a building block. the scientific like this is your instructions for using them, whereas mm. what you're doing with the cultures are just more kind of check and see and kind of go gut feeling.
1: Yeah, so I, I said too too often now, I think. <laughs> uh this is partly true, although they promise you more than they can deliver you from these products. But if you use non-commercial products, and you talk about the fermentation time of a a, a regular segment of mysis, so therefore uh, the beer will be done in, say, say four weeks or so, Uh, you'll you'll know after one time brewing, and if you don't, you know know after two times brewing, how this thing is behaving, and you can can taste it, you can sample it uh, and figure out very much by by experience with other yeast, uh, how to deal with it next time. If you're talking about a mixed culture, including wild, or some Brettanomyces or other yeast, then then it becomes different, different beast. Something I think literally every brewery is struggling with. What what else? What flavors?
0: What what else is it gonna give you? Yeah, yeah that, that that was a question I actually had here. So, like, if you've got your your mixed your your mixed culture, so say your kvites or the other Lithuania the Simuminites yeast, things like that, where they have the you know. That they have them from a particular farm, particular brewery, and then they've been commercialized. But when they commercialize them, all you're getting is one strain out of that, out of that culture. So I'm wondering where that, where, where things lie with that, because if you're only taking one strain, it's never going to be what that whole culture was, and yet it's still marketed as being the same yeast. So I don't know what what what's your opinion on that? I mean, it seems I don't know. It, it doesn't seem very honest somehow. Uh, the, I mean.
3: It- it, it's a, it can be a bit of a honestness actually that uh, because some people in Norway think uh, that um, these these labs especially in America that have taken uh, single isolates of kryk and massively marketed as kryk and feel that uh, this is dishonest in some way to the tradition but actually most of the people who, who own these kraikes have uh, because Lars Marius when he collect, collected them initially he, he asked them. The, can, can this uh, yeast be used by others uh, can they be used by amateurs can it be used by professional bre- brewers uh, can they use your name so he, he he asked them all these questions and then they signed for it and he has this um, this um, ledger on his um, um page where you can actually see which ones you can use but but i also understand why uh, for first of all the uh, yeast uh, lab- laboratories can't uh, just take the whole culture and make that a commercial product because they also will have a really problem with having consistency as well i mean we're talking some of these have three four different saccharomyces strains in them but some have uh, found up to like 16 different saccharomyces strains some have some bacteria we don't know exactly what they're doing to create the flavor and to, to have to propagate this and sell it as a commercial product that way is very complex. At least for brewers, that are looking for a consistent. Yeah. So it's a okay. complex, complex issue, but I, I would say that kvike wouldn't be as well known as it is today if it weren't for those Canadian American yeast laboratories creating these products. Uh, and and um, I I have no ill will towards that at all. I mean, yeah. we are a source of, of uh, quite controversial like isolate ourselves, actually. Uh, I gave a bottle to um, an American um, guy who owns Yeast Lab in Amsterdam, actually. It was Jan's fault. He, he put us together by arranging his festival. And uh, he isolated a saccharomyces strain from our house culture that you could ferment at uh, at really warm temperature, like 35 degrees, and it makes a super clean flavor almost like a lager we call it like a pseudo lager so this is a super popular homebrew strain in america now and it's they called it the oslo yeast or the oslo bike and a lot of people uh, on the west side of the country got really pissed off for that there's no crack from oslo oh you ripped us off and they were why don't you mention the original source and and the problem was that we didn't actually know i mean at the time we had five different cultures mixed together so We could never know which one of those farms that isolate came from. And then the producer took a decision to call it Oslo. We probably wouldn't have done that, but uh, but that's the story. And uh, yeah, people still hate on that on on the internet. So that's fun. (laughs) But I I think one one world doesn't exclude the other. We need the yeast labs. We need these single cultures for production. We all have different needs as producers. Uh, but of course, it's a, it's a fantastic treasure that uh, um, the people of Western Norway have kept alive these cultures, and 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 we have to like dwell on the fact that for those to be alive today, people have have to have continuously brewed with them for hundreds of years. Like they kept up the responsibility to keep it alive, and that needs to be recognised for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of those farmers, if I remember my my reading on it properly, a lot of them actually have maybe not. Okay, I've got to rephrase this, think about this. but um, a lot of the farmers, they still brew, say, they, they brew oil and that, but they, they went to taking commercial yeast as well, didn't they? Well, a different, uh,
3: it's different in different places, actually. you have um, the smoky beer of the Trondheim region. They have lost their quake, so they don't actually have a farmhouse yeast. They, use, um, they used to get lager yeast from local lager brewery, uh, but now they can they use like USO 5 neutral ale yeast for instance but they make their own malts. so they actually either grow the grain themselves the barley or they buy it from a local farmer and then they they malt it and dry it under um uh, alderwood the traditional way so they have kept that part of the culture and then you have the raw beer brewers in Hunindal, uh, which don't actually boil the wort and they have their own culture so they've kept that part but they use commercial molds so yeah. you have these little dots around the country especially on the west side and, and in tronheim where they all kept their little part of the culture but some of it has been modified in it. like yeah. it, that's the way everything right it's yeah. uh, everything is a snapshot everything evolves
1: but these people don't use facts from uh, other regions
3: uh, some of the brewers in Trondheim have now experimented using Kwijk from Hornindal because they came together at this farmers' festival, which is called Kuhnel Festival, uh, which Lars Marius is part of arranging. I, I was on the board until uh, two years ago as well. And uh, the goal there is to bring all these regions together. And of course, they will learn from each other. And, and some of these uh, brewers from Trondheim, oh, you have yeast, maybe we can try that. But also, they're quite apprehensive of,
1: of changing the way they brew the beer because they 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 prefer uh, commercial use of five sorry are you saying they prefer a commercial use of five because it gives them better results
3: yes and also they are they don't really innovate on this product like they they brew it as they've always done it it's like making the Christmas ham like you make it this way because you do it every year and the mindset isn't there of improving or enhancing it's just the way we do the beer
1: so the mindset is there's not a mindset either to make a. uh I'd say it's like a, like a more Norwegian product be- no that be- is more either. this this fear of the
3: uh professional beer gotcha. uh, I mean this this brewing tradition it's more about like any other food or drink tradition that we do for Christmas a lot of mm-hmm. us right like we do it because it what we always done is part of the feeling of Christmas and like they don't think like we Professional brewers do usually. They. It's
1: not. It's not about heritage. It's about tradition.
3: Yeah. Well, it can be both, right? But uh, yeah. I mean, some of them remember having their own quite But I mean, for uh, Trondheim, I think they lost it in the early '70s. So a lot of the brewers now won't actually remember using anything else yeah. than the local lager brewery. Yeah. Uh, it all depends on what's tradition to them,
0: right? what's the tradition in, like on? on cider and um, like cider's has obviously been you know been, been made for a while but was there a tradition of any kind of local ciders where they might have used their own yeast on either you know, or, or james there yeah so the thing about
4: cider making in ireland is that it, its tradition has been fairly poor like you know strictly speaking it's only in the last um 10 years that craft cider making has actually taken hold uh, substantially in ireland prior to that then you have had the the big company bulmers which was the main cider producer in ireland now there was one or two other uh companies that did cider but they were all done on the commercial level now interestingly enough uh Bullmers, when it originally started in Clonmel, they used to use timber vats in there, and they were massive. Some of them used to hold sixty thousand gallons. In those vats, in those vats, they had a very particular type of yeast that that was consistent to that brand of cider making. And every year they used to use that. Now I, I know from from history or from from other people that were working in this industry, they put a huge amount of effort. And resources and science into actually trying to isolate that type and harvest that yeast so that now they, they, they've they brought that yeast from from that facility which is now defunct it's actually closed to the new facility outside clamel where it's all stainless steel and tank now but they've bought that yeast from there from the original to the new plant and they, they grow up that yeast and develop it but if you're looking back uh, we said very traditional cider making in Ireland. It's, it's quite difficult to find it. Mark Jenkins, another cider maker in in, uh, in Slane and Kildare, he's absolutely a beautiful cider maker. He makes a, a French-style cider called Keeving, and he's excellent at it. He also a wild yeast all the time and he his yeast has been kind of he's been, brought that yeast on through his own facility but he's
0: got a beautiful yeast within that facility just mean right so yeah uh, that that's kind of the same thing it's, it's a host yeast then that is just like like what you're trying to develop as well just yes yeast that you're growing or and kind of that I'm um, I don't domesticating. I suppose is, is yeah, probably yeah. the best thing. Uh, but I'd go back on, on what Jan said earlier. Like, I mean,
4: I'm I'm not like we do use commercial yeast, and we do like some. We've I, as Liam said there earlier, we've identified some strange of commercial yeast that we find are excellent and produce beautifully crisp really lovely ciders uh, in their own right and we do use those ones as well like so it's about marrying the complexities of a single strain with what else we're doing and because we have about eight or nine different products that we're, we're working with and like we're trying to target the selection towards those product developments as well so that we're kind of bring different characters similar to what the lads are doing in beers and beer styles you know so, i mean they i'm sure they have different yeasts for different styles of beer that they're using, and we're doing the same thing. But as Jan said, um, Yam is that correct? Uh, yeah, he like we do use single variety commercially styles, and we do find some
0: of them are absolutely fabulous. Like, yeah, I guess the the problem, like you said, with uh, that is it is that whereas the beer the the brewers can kind of brew different batches every you know start every every couple of weeks. Yeah you and they can experiment with different things you have the yeah problem of basically doing it once a year exactly yeah yeah
1: and spontaneously fermenting cider isn't that isn't that a somewhat common thing either
4: pardon sorry yeah
1: Uh, spontaneously fermenting your cider with basically with the yeast on on the fruit How, how 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 common or uncommon is that
4: uh so, so in ireland we have probably, probably about 14 craft cider producers in ireland at the moment and only um is it three of them and To my best of my knowledge three of them are using wild yeast fermentation i suppose the problem we find with wild yeast fermentations is that it's not delivering the consistency and the product that lean was referring to earlier and it's creating more of these funky type styles now our market is too small for us to be playing with that um we're playing with that kind of thing you know we don't as as um uh amand said that like you know this acquired tie acquired style of taste you know acquired taste for a particular style of cider. our markets are just too small for us to be trying to tap into that niche market if we just wouldn't make any money at it like you know what i mean so and we're trying to do is we're trying to bring the consistency the quality with that consistency as well to appeal to a mass market the mass market in ireland being very small
1: but is that only a consistency thing or also a time consuming issue perhaps
4: very much uh, consistency number one right yeah. and i suppose time consuming in the it's it's not any more time consuming because all right i do these trials at home myself so i i i kind of enjoy it as a hobby as well as everything else and if i come across something that i'm doing at home that we can bring to the decidery and bring it in in an efficient manner that that doesn't dictate you know doesn't take from time or cost too much money then we can implement these things quite quickly but i mean there's no way we can do that that kind of trialing insider because it just takes too long and you're playing with it too much it's just that i'm i'm interested in doing it and i enjoy doing it at home and i do it as a hobby as well so it just kind of all works together
0: yeah i wonder if there's uh like like I said the cider market is small but well i suppose that, that the market in ireland for kind of spontaneous beers is probably small as well so i'm saying whether you could kind of target some of those but probably a small market as well i leave that to Liam. he's the salesman <laughs>
2: No, I'm I, I'm trying to put the reins on James and hold him back. He wants to create all of these funky, crazy ciders, and I'm saying, "Oh, listen, come here."
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think there's a whole new market here for you. Not huge, but maybe it's big enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I um I don't know um it's been very interesting for me getting the getting kind of the cross opinions on this um. Where do you think uh, it's a culture? Like I said, I, I suppose I'm bringing it back around a little bit because I kind of asked this, but um, like there is the whole. It's like a culture of the you know spontaneous, the complex beers versus the big, much bigger market of people who don't know anything about yeast and don't know anything about it and just take the beer. Do you think it seems to me like it's growing that there is an awful lot more interest in it? Like you said, for where do you think it's going to go in in either? beer or cider do you think it's going to continue in that growing or is it going to kind of hit a hit a wall where you just don't have people who care anymore
1: As for beer, because uh, there's a much much bigger interest in
0: beer than there was say
1: 15 years ago or so with the start of the craft yeah. beer revolution whatever they whatever they call it uh I myself have been a bit disillusioned by the amount of people that came to that to that beer scene and I'm actually hardly interested in uh, experimenting different tastes in general to be honest they were just happy to switch from the lager to the RPA to put it right. a bit boldly uh, but then if you see the amount of people who are drinking their specialty beers nowadays I can't talk about cider I I, I think it's the limits <laughs> unless people really are
0: willing to, to, to learn basically yeah I mean I suppose, like, when you look at it, the, yeah, the, the craft beer, like I said, it's all, or it was actually it was all IPAs, and that's all people were probably still are is just like the, the hops that are being used. And very by knowing, you know, everything about beer, whereas, yeah, the, there's this whole area, yeast, just I, I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, basically, but yeah, like it, that you know, like you said, you put on all the malts, all the yeasts, all the hops you use, whereas most of the time, people are just looking at the hops. I mean,
1: yeah, but even but, but that well, I'm not, not sure it's such a good question, but I think many people who consider themselves uh, beer geeks or something alike, they they don't really care about much else than uh, having something special they can or, or hyped or, or hard to get to show off with, or otherwise something easy drinking like a juicy IPA, and that. Those are great beers. Nothing wrong with that. but but I I, I, I don't believe that the, the current beer scene uh, I can't predict the future. The current beer scene is not really interested in very right. deeper, more complex flavors. I fear.
0: I, I, think, I think there. Was... I'm
1: really
0: A sorry, James, you're saying?
4: Yeah, I think if I look at the. I the the whole thing or the global thing of a cider maker. And I, I mean, I'm sure this applies to the beer people as well. Like, yeast is only one. Yeast, yeast is only one aspect of our cider making, and like we have multiple aspects in the cider making that that impact on the overall quality and the finish of our product. Like, and yeast is only one part of this, and I think it's what we're trying to do is like. Look at this as one part of a multiple part. Like it's it's attention to detail. Like and trying to us trying to achieve the maximum quality of a very good product is about the attention to detail of all the different elements that are involved. Yeast is only one of those elements, and like the quality of the apples coming in from the farmer. Uh, The the way we crush the apple, the way we have the we the way we look after the juice, you know, trying to keep the place clean and tidy, you know, and then doing the fermentation right, you know, pitching it at the right temperature, making sure the yeast doesn't get stressed, you know, all these elements they're all combined to try and make a finished product that is that will sell it to consumer at the end of the day, you know, so you're not trying to create something that's way off out there that you won't get any sales or like. But it comes back to trying to have the attention to detail and all the different elements. Yeast is just one of those elements, I think and it, it, you know even the packaging the the beer, beer, the cider is in is an important element as well, like so it's just one of a multiple of the elements that we all have to try and get right all of the time like yeah
0: yeah, I mean you're probably the you're saying that you're probably the one who has probably gone wildest on this and has the most niche market possible, I yeah mean, I
3: think uh sour beer is growing in norway but it's still very small if you compare this to music like you will have your mass market hit songs and you have a different subgenres, and um people will find what they like i think what we stand for with what we do is that we we create a product that that adds to the diversity to be honest like in beer now it's, it's very much assimilating even in, in craft beer it's assimilating in a way that a lot of breweries all over the world are making the same beer styles with the same raw material Uh, and um, to be honest like that is a slight problem if you value diversity so uh, our sort of mission statement is to at least do our part we we will never I mean this doesn't really scale up in in the way that we could have this uh, producing millions of liters a, a year so it is Made for a small size, and, and we are made. We make beer that fits a niche group of people, but it's growing slightly bigger. But but that's what we want to do, right? That's that's our mission, and that's that's the beer we want to make. And uh, I do believe that there is a certain responsibility in producers to, to decide what do you want to make. Like I, I meet a lot of producers that are kind of desperately trying to figure out what the market wants, and that is of course important. But but. There's also this element of what do you want to do? Like the market is diverse still, so I mean there is wiggle room, and of course there is always an easier path and there are harder paths, but you have options, and I think that's it's important to remember for for us
0: people too. So uh, yeah, as much ambition as as anything else, and I suppose that's where I guess we kind of started off with, like on the east itself. I, I remember asking like, was it being driven by the consumer or by the the producer and it's at least the majority of it seems to be about the producer you're doing what you want to do um on all levels like the whole idea what you want to do with your own experimentation and then just tailoring that to to make sure you can actually sell some of it
2: yeah but brian brian can i just commit sorry that my my, uh, connection went went low there but just in relation to that i think you hit the nail on the head um look the, the I suppose the beer market is so well developed that consumers now understand like the differences that yeast will have to, to the beer. you know the in in Ireland we, we don't have that heritage at all. Uh, now maybe in in the UK it's it's, it's a bit more developed, but I, I don't really think it is. Um, but the, the point is is that it's the producer who's driving the market and it's it's the producer who, who's playing around with lots of stuff in the background. And I suppose once once we get very comfortable with our yeasts and see that there's a significant difference in the, the same apple that that's been same apple cider and if you use a different yeast in it um, then then we'll start to promote that and start to kind of bring that to the consumer but um, we're, we're actually a long long way from that but I think that's it's all going to be driven by by the the, the producer right, once uh, once, uh, once the market is there and once the consumer is interested in that but, yeah'. That's but I,
0: Said earlier, like education. Jan was yes, saying, like educating yeah. people, what's there and what. And but it's driven by what you want to experiment with, and that yeah. what you the, your, the craft, basically, rather than. Yes. Yes. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah of you, you want to make it regardless of growth. I don't know how important growth actually is, uh, or how many more consumers you want to reach. If you want, yeah. you just want yeah. to make a better product, but Yes. best product you can yes that's and true that's true. why you work with the best ingredients or, or, or diversity of the ingredients you can work with yes yes that's that, that's that's, that's, yeah. that's
0: the drive also.
2: that's the that's the drive exactly we just want to make it as best as we can and we're always pushing ourselves forward yeah and is, that,
0: is that what you see and with all the, the brewers who come to kind of the do they all have that it's the same attitude is it
1: that's what we're aiming for to, to yeah that's what, what i see often most definitely
0: good well, listen um, uh, guys, I've held you for nearly an hour and a half now, so I suppose i better let you go. Um, you probably, you know, the, the two lads here probably want to go and watch rugby or something. And, yeah, um, yeah. About, <laughs> Ireland are playing England for the two of you who don't know. <laughs> so, so we'll have to go and that'll be starting in about 15 minutes or so. So um, just, I just want to say thanks a million. Um, did, did I leave out? Did we not cover something that we should have covered or some question that somebody didn't have or or anything? Oh, he only scratched the surface on yeast. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't even
4: get get into it at all.